0: Okay, everybody, Uh, welcome to the GVC podcast, which uh, is really just take two from Sunday's sermon. Uh, If you were watching the live stream, you know we had all kinds of problems. Uh, We apologize for that. I want you to know it had nothing to do with the technical abilities of the staff, and it had everything to do with a strangely unreliable uh, internet. Um, We think that it was related to the weather, uh, but we're going to be talking this week as a staff about how we can improve things and make it more reliable. I just want to apologize for that. Um, right on the out, right at the outset, what I'm going to do is I am going to preach the sermon that I preached at Knox, but was interrupted by uh, the intermittent, intermittent internet, and uh, hopefully. Uh, you'll get to hear it in its entirety now, and it will be a a blessing to you. So, what we're going to do is, over the next weeks at GVC, we're going to be spending a while looking at the stories about Jesus' life and ministry, just like the Jesus Storybook Bible does. And that means that we're going to be looking at different stories in each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, each Gospel tells the life of Jesus, but they all do it with a different emphasis in mind. They all have a unique purpose to their story. And this is why sometimes there will be stories found in one gospel that don't appear in any of the other gospels. Um, When Jesus was born, Matthew goes right past the visit from the angels to this event from Matthew chapter 2 that happened up to two years after Jesus' birth. And he is actually the only one who records it, this visit from the Magi. The question is, why? Well, Matthew's purpose in writing his gospel is to convince the Jews that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah who would fulfill the promises made to their ancestor Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the nations and all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Matthew wants his readers to see that Jesus is the one the one they've been waiting for, and the one they are to worship. Not just the Jews, but all people. It's interesting, actually, that there are at least ten examples of people worshiping Jesus in the book of Matthew. Contrast that with Mark, who records only one. This is because Matthew's concern is to show us who we ought to be worshiping, and that is Jesus, uh the son of Mary and Joseph, the son of God, in fact. And notice who's doing the worshipping. It's these so-called wise men from the East. Now, we, d- we tend to think that there were three of them, and that's simply because there were three gifts that they brought, frankincense, incense, and myrrh, uh, but we don't really know how many there were. And I call them so-called wise men because the actual word is magi. Which was not a compliment, frankly. What it means is one who works magic or even sorcerer. These men, in short, they were astrologers, they were stargazers. Now, that may have made them highly respected scholars and wise men in their homeland, but in Palestine, to the Jews, it did not. Listen to Isaiah 47. It says, Keep on, then, with your magic spells and with your many sorceries, which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. That's verses 12 to 14. Astrologers couldn't save, and so Isaiah actually mocks them for that. These magi described in Matthew's Gospel, they're Gentile, pagan, idolater, sorcerers. They are people that you'd least expect to worship God. They are academics. They're highly educated and they are steeped in their worldview. In fact, they're a lot like sophisticated Westerners today. And yet, they actually came to believe. They they were the first worshipers of Christ that Matthew records, and they were complete outsiders. The Jews had been given the covenants. uh, They had been given the temple worship. They had been given the Torah, the law of God. Not these pagans. They didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't know the covenants. And yet, God revealed himself to them. Listen, maybe you have a neighbor or a friend or a colleague, and you think to yourself, they will never, ever believe. They have such long-held, deeply-held beliefs that are so different from Christianity and they're super educated, too. They have lots of so-called reasons not to believe Christianity because of their education. They have so many questions. Maybe you've heard of Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield had, has a Ph.D. in English, and she taught queer theory at Syracuse University. Uh, she was a lesbian and very, very involved in the LGBTQ community as an activist. Well, she became a Christian in 1999, and nobody expected that. Nobody thought it was possible. Not her uh, activist community, not her colleagues in her academic community, not even uh, the Christians in her newfound Christian community. They were all shocked and surprised, some uh, pleasantly, some not so much. But here's the point. Matthew includes this story to show us that no matter where you come from, you can receive true wisdom and become truly wise. So maybe you can commit this year to pray for these people in your lives that you think, oh man, I could never see them actually coming to faith. And maybe God will surprise you in their conversion too. So what I want to do is just look at how these magi became wise. Uh, We call them wise men rightly because they become wise. They go from foolishness to wisdom. And there's three things uh, that we see in this passage. We see that they followed God's clues as they understood them. They listened to God's word. And then they worshipped God's Christ. Those are the three things they did. They followed God's clues, they listened to God's word, and then they worshipped God's Christ. So, uh, let's have a look at this. You notice uh, that, first of all, they follow God's clues. They saw this star. We're not sure what this star was. Um, A lot of ink has been spilt over what this star constituted. Some say, actually, one of the best theories is is that that star was actually... Jupiter and Saturn, when they closely aligned in their orbits, they became a very bright star in the sky. And we actually just had recently uh, that phenomenon occur. Uh, It was unfortunately pretty cloudy on December 21st. But had it been sun or had it been clear, you would have been able to see it in the sky. Um. But we don't really know if that was the star that they saw, but it was a clue that they could understand because they were stargazers. So God gave them a clue that they could understand. And they noticed this light phenomenon and they gave it the best interpretation they could. They said, hey, something's going on. We need to investigate. And listen, if you want to live a life that's in touch with reality, Friends, you have to have an open mind and see the clues of God. You know, if there is a God, then there must be evidence of his being, right? There's got to be something that points to his being. Not not proof, not scientific proof, but clues, evidence. And it turns out that there, there actually is a lot of evidence for the existence of God. Let me just give you quickly five clues to God that are worth considering. First of all, universal human rights. We believe in them, right? We believe in the right to life, to freedom, to property, to privacy. Where do those rights come from? We have these moral principles. We say we ought to, we ought to respect these rights. Well, how, how did we get this ought? Were they just there What evidence is there that they're just there? We don't see this evidence in the natural world around us. We don't see mosquitoes and alligators and um, goldfinches having these rights to freedom and property and privacy, etc. But we see them in human beings. Why? Well, if there's a universal law or a universal moral code, it it requires a universal lawgiver a universal code giver the bible teaches that god created us with a conscience and it's fallen yes but he has created us with this conscience because he's written scripture says he's written the law on the hearts of all of us and that is a clue to his existence let me give you another one human consciousness your self-awareness that you are a conscious human being that you exist that you have life this is a this is a big question for scientists and philosophers because we don't know where it's come from and we don't think that any other creature on earth has this uh, there's no scientific explanation for where it came from we have no idea actually but if there is a personal god that created human beings in his image like scripture teaches Well, then it makes sense that we would have personality a personal consciousness as well it's another clue you see here's another one the virgin birth of the universe Uh, we don't know where the universe came from even if you believe in a super old universe let's say you believe that the universe is 14 billion years old well That means that 30 billion years ago, there was nothing. 15 billion years ago, there was nothing. 14 and a half billion years ago, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, boom, 14 billion years ago, there's something. Well, how does something come from nothing? Christianity teaches that, that there's an unmoved mover, an uncreated creator who started this universe, created this universe out of nothing. It's another clue. Here's another one the fine-tuning of the universe. Francis Collins, who is a scientist that headed up the Genome Project that mapped the DNA of, of the human species, he once said that the universe behaves as though it knew we were coming. And what he meant by that is that the conditions for life on this planet, in this universe, are so precise It leads us to believe that somebody set those conditions very precisely in order that we could be here. It's kind of like saying, if you walk into a beautiful garden and you look around and you see that it is obviously a garden and not just sort of wild growth, chaos all over the place, it's reasonable to expect that there was a gardener who made it. I'll give you one more quickly. Um. You meet people who seem to have well-adjusted, happy lives. They have stable, loving marriages. They have respectful, well-adjusted kids. That doesn't mean they're not without their problems, but they seem to have less drama in their lives than others tend to. And you ask yourself, well, why are they like that? And then you discover that it's Jesus. That's a clue, friends. I I once pastored uh, in a church that had a, a, an attendee who was a Crown attorney. And he worked in the most difficult office uh, in the Crown. Uh, he worked murder cases and rape cases and human trafficking cases, just really hard stuff. And he told me that, you know, his colleagues were absolutely brilliant and they were successful. But their personal lives, frankly, were really, really, really messed up. I have a a friend who is a professor uh, at a university and he has said the same thing about his colleagues that they seem to have it all together but when you get to know them they have so many problems in their lives and this crown attorney he told me that uh, you know when he would invite sometimes his colleagues to church they felt like they were stepping into an alternative universe they couldn't believe what they saw they saw they saw families that loved one another they saw people that cared about others and went out of their way to to bless others and shared of their abundance with those in need. And that was something that they were not used to seeing. These friends are clues, okay? Clues to the reality of God. But you have to actually think about them. You actually have to to follow these clues to find out the truth. Frankly, too many people simply ignore the clues they ignore the questions those big questions like where did we come from why are we here where is history going what's the point of life what's wrong with the world and how do we fix it this happens both outside and inside the church you know there are people who grow up in the church and they hear about god and they hear about jesus and they're taught the doctrines of the christian faith And they accept those doctrines but they do it sort of mindlessly without thinking about them and then maybe they go off to college or university or they just go out into the world and start discovering the world and and they begin to wander why is that well it's partly because they have not wrestled with the truth of those doctrines they've ignored the clues too c.s lewis One said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. What he's saying is, in that statement, is that, yes, he's had a personal encounter with Jesus, absolutely. He's the sun. But it's through that encounter with Jesus, as he learned the Christian faith and as he understood how Christianity answered those big questions of life, that that reality made sense to him in a way that reality could not make sense to him when he was an unbeliever, when he was an atheist. And you know, actually, this is is happening, friends. Um, I'm reading a lot of books lately by more and more thoughtful people who are starting to see The bankruptcy of the secular, godless worldview. And they're saying it doesn't make sense of enough of the realities that they've experienced. And they're starting to question. They're starting to open their minds to the possibility that the clues to God suggest about his existence. They're a lot like these magi. But but here's the thing. You can't just stay there. You have to follow them. And and these men did. But but you have to follow them in a certain way. Because these men, yes, they came to Jerusalem. And there are many people who have come to Jerusalem through following the clues. What I mean by that is that they've come to believe that there is a supernatural uh, power that exists out there. A being beyond the physical realm. But they don't know who that is. And they've not really gone far enough to learn who that is these men what made them so wise as they became wise was that they didn't just go to jerusalem they actually went to bethlehem they come to jerusalem and they enter herod's court and they say where is this king we've heard about him we've seen his star we have followed it here and we want to know where this king is and herod he turns to the scribes and the experts in the old testament and he asks them where is this king that that these men are coming to find And what do the scribes do? They quote the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5. Now these magi, they don't know anything about New Testament Christology. They don't know anything about, uh, you know, biblical theology and the, the great doctrines of the church. They didn't even know the names of the books of the Old Testament, probably. But they listened to the word of God when they heard it. They took seriously what they heard and they obeyed. Off to Bethlehem they went. If you want to become wise, you have to listen to God's word. Jesus himself said that. He said, The wise person is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. See, a lot of people are interested in spiritual things in terms of asking a lot of questions getting knowledge reading books thinking hard about tough questions you know they'll read everything and they they'll 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 have conversations and debates and discussions with you but they actually they don't ever do anything in the end they don't put anything into practice they don't really change i've known people like that they like to turn ideas over in their minds but they don't do anything about it. They think they're being open-minded. And that is a virtue. You need to be open-minded. But friends, being open-minded is, is only a virtue if it leads to something, if it leads to discovering the truth. G.K. Chesterton was a brilliant man of letters in the 20th century, and, and listen to what he said. He said, an open mind is all very well in its way, but it ought not to be so open that there is no keeping anything in or out of it. It should be capable of shutting its doors sometimes, or it may be found a little drafty. An open mind is like an open mouth. Mouths and minds were made to shut. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. See that's what these men were pursuing they were pursuing something solid they were pursuing something truth that was true something that they could they could set their feet upon that was a sure foundation I I mentioned Rosaria Butterfield uh, before how was she converted well I I read a, an interesting article by her in Christianity Today, where she tells her conversion story. Listen to what she says, quote, I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering my partner and I were hosting, my transgendered friend Jay cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over mine. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. With tremors, I whispered, Jay, what if it's true? What if Jesus is a real and risen Lord? What if we're all in trouble? I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. But the Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. But she was listening, friends, to the word of God. You see, eventually she succumbed and she gave in and she gave her life to Christ and she became wise. Well, how does that, what does that look like? What's that final step? Well, it's the same way the Magi did. This is the last point. To be wise, you must worship as you learn who Jesus is. These men, they, they came to a barn or a house or whatever. In any case, it was probably a dump. And they saw this little baby wrapped up, being held in his teenage mother's arms. And what did they do? Verse 11 says that they bowed down and worshipped. Did they know that Jesus was the divine son of God? Well, at that time, probably not. They probably knew hardly anything at all, but they knew That he was special they knew that he was like nobody before him they did know that he was superior to him to them sorry that he was born this king of the jews that he was a king that much they knew they didn't know everything about him but they knew enough to pay homage and there is such an important principle here that that we all need to remember but especially those who don't yet know Jesus as the one, as the Savior, as the long-awaited king that we need so badly. Listen, you have to worship him as you learn who he is. Sometimes people, they want to know everything there is to know about Jesus before they'll worship him, before they'll submit to him in any way. And the truth is you can't do that. And there's two reasons why. First of all, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he says he's God, well then, by definition, he is inexhaustible. You can't ever know everything there is to know about Jesus. A life in relationship with Jesus means a life of perpetual and continual discovery of who he is. But that's often how our deepest relationships go those who have been married a long time one of the joys of being married to someone for many many years is to discover things about them as you carry on like the longer you're married the the more new things you discover about them why wouldn't that be the same with Jesus if that's the way it is on a on a human horizontal level why would it be any different with the incarnate son of god that's the first reason but th- but the second reason that that's not how love works see the Christian faith is a religion of love that's what's at the heart of Christianity when you come to meet Jesus what you come to discover is is that he says that he came into this world to live for you and to die for you that you were an enemy of God, that when you had chosen to live life on your own terms, all you had done was made a terrible muck of it and you deserved God's judgment and justice. But Jesus comes along and says, I will stand in your place. I will stand in the gap and I will take the punishment that you deserve for your sin when I go to that cross and I will do it because I love you and cherish you and delight in you. Even in relationships, like say a spousal relationship, we have to remember that there's a risk involved, right? You know, you start dating someone and you think that they're they're interesting and you think that you enjoy them and you, you think that you're attracted to them and you think, you know, at some point I think that this person is worth spending my life with. But what do you have to do? You have to commit, right? You have to commit to them and you have to submit to them. Now, you may say to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like worship, but but think about this. In the getting to know the other person, you're discovering their likes and dislikes. And as you grow in your, your love for them, you find yourself wanting to meet their needs more and more. You want to provide the things that they like and you want to avoid and protect them from the things that they don't like. That's what we mean by submitting our wills to them. Well, Jesus is not a flawed human being. And so the risk of giving yourself to him is not like the risk that you take when you commit yourself to another human being. No, he's the perfect God-man and you can trust him completely. And the more you know of him, the more it'll make you want to worship him. But you can't wait until you understand him fully first. Listen to Rosaria Butterfield one more time. She, one Lord's Day, Ken preached. Ken, by the way, is the pastor of the church that she was attending. So, One Lord's Day, Ken preached on John 7:17. 7, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. That's what the verse says. This verse exposed the quicksand in which my feet were stuck. I was a thinker. I was paid to read books and write about them. I expected that in all areas of life, understanding came before obedience. But this verse promised that understanding came after obedience. I prayed that night that God would give me the willingness to obey before I understood. I prayed long into the unfolding of the the day. And then, one ordinary day, I came to Jesus open-handed and naked. Listen to this. In this war of worldviews, Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved. Ah, but here it is, friends. But the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. Now notice a few things. Her her conversion was not this absolute, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in the deepest recesses of my heart that this is absolutely true. no. She was pulled by the love of God, and she was in this war of worldviews where she found that the gospel triumphed over her own secular interpretation of reality. And so, what did she do? She drank tentatively at first from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the solace of the Holy Spirit. And then, as she grew in understanding, She drank more and more passionately. Friends, do you want to become wise? Then follow the clues God gives you and listen to the word God speaks to you and worship the Christ God sent to you and find your true self in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone listening to this podcast that we would drink passionately from the solace of the Holy Spirit and submit our lives completely to Jesus and find our true selves in him. And I pray especially for those who might be listening, Father, who have have never really done that, who have perhaps followed the clues a, a short way down the path but have never really encountered your word or given themselves over to your son in a way that the truth of the gospel can be made manifest, really really become a real and tangible part of their lives and who they are. I pray for them, Father, and I pray, Lord, that all of us would come to know your christ the way the magi did that we would become wise because we have found your son who is your wisdom and that we might find life in him in jesus name we pray amen well my friends this is a a little longer podcast than usual Uh, But again, uh, I hope and pray that it is a blessing to you. I look forward to uh, returning to our typical podcast format next week. But until then, take care. Bye-bye.